Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged with Mark Fielding Hello, welcome to episode 10, season 4 of Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged. As you know, I'm Mark Fielding, a psychotherapist and relationship counsellor and your host. Uh, today we have the absolute pleasure of talking to Ray Bonney, um ray really nice to see you again thanks for coming on again thank you mark thank you very much uh through an evidence-based model ray partners closely with organizations to design bespoke sustainable and achievable programs that resonate with her trademark question what does it feel like being you today a driven and committed advocate for inspiring change to attitudes around mental health Ray is well known for a style and approach that aids in reversing stigma through change process, storytelling, empathy and unconditional positive regard. She works with a broad range of organisations and settings to deliver bespoke programmes and interventions where leaders take charge of creating environments to support good mental health, safety and well-being. And individuals are unable to take responsibility in better managing personal health, safety and well-being. With almost 40 years of experience working with the beautiful and kaleidoscopic nature of the human condition, Ray has also developed a special skill in managing traumatic life events, especially relating to suicide and other kinds of preventable death. She's very well known for her enthusiastic advocacy in the men's mental health space, where she believes that a male-friendly approach to support and resources could have a positive impact for everyone. The first female board member of the Australian Men's Mental Health Forum, she complements this with her more recent election to the Board of Global Action on Men's Health. Ray's an enthusiastic supporter of men's sheds across the world and proud to have been an honorary member of the Monash Shed for almost 10 years, where she contributes to providing a social determinants approach to the health of men and boys. Um, so you bring an awful lot to the table, Ray. I hope we can cover, uh, well, we try and cover yeah. as much as possible. I mean, I always <laughs> kick off by asking our guests, uh, and obviously say as much or as little as you're happy with, what, what kind of led you into this field? Well, it's a, it's a, it is a long story, but I just wanted to just make a few edits to the introduction. In okay. fact, um, my focus is very much on men's health in general, not just mental health. Cool. And it is the Australian Men's Health Forum, not uh, Men's Mental Health wow. Forum. Apologies. So uh, we we like to embrace the entirety of, of the human condition. Uh, not just the mental side, but 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 everything that makes it so beautiful. So thank you for allowing me uh, those couple of little uh, changes to the sure, intro. So, so a really holistic approach. Very, very much so. Uh, I like to think that it's integrated, um, which 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 is another word that that's probably a little little less uh, of the of psychology and and more embracing I think but leading into what I do today I guess I don't speak about that a lot Mark I, I've always been very very fascinated about the human condition for as long as I can actually remember and I was raised in a fairly traumatic environment when I say fairly it was it was pretty traumatic sure. and so as a very young child my 
I guess, entree into life, you know, it was pretty confusing and I felt, I remember, you know, a mixture of anger and grief and uh, pain, a lot of pain. So, you know, I, I left that environment at quite a young age um, when I was about 15 and I left school at the same time, uh, but never, ever lost my interest and passion and inquisitiveness uh, for for human beings. So I guess travelling along that path where I grew into myself and, and learned more about life uh, at that sort of teenage age, it sat very strongly with me about uh, what happens to people to make them behave in certain ways. So, for example, you know, the people that were quite... Uh, impactful on my very young life what happened to them to make them like that so that's sort of you know the, the lead up to where we are today uh you know 55 years on <laughs> sure and, and, and I guess this is you know a bit of a, a massive simplification over what you just said but it's led you into having a real curiosity uh, around health around why people do what what they do you know and you're also a qualified counsellor I believe aren't you Yes, I am. I am. As I mentioned, I left school at a very young age. Uh, with, excuse my dog in the background there, uh, with little education. So, you know, in my, in my little journey, I also had had three children, and um, I became a grandmother last week. So that that was pretty exciting. But I didn't actually attend university until later in life, when I when I was forty, and then found myself with child for the third time uh so that's when I qualified to become a counsellor uh 15 years ago and I uh, was able to sort of solidify and get more credibility around how I worked with people sure yeah and and, and I guess you know I guess you bring your you know your, your kind of experience as a you know as a counsellor into the work in the corporate space I mean I wanted to kick off and just ask you a little bit more about the corporate space and men's health generally and this is you know an enormous question and probably going to be difficult for you to answer but I just wanted to contrast in your experience over the years men's health and the way that men deal with you know with their health generally and women's health I mean it it, it, it's simplifying it because obviously, obviously everyone is an individual and everyone deals with, with health differently. But what differences do you, have you seen over the years in terms of gender and in terms of how the different genders deal with health generally and, and, and mental health? It is a really big question, yeah. which probably has a lot of different answers to it. But I guess my focus, you mentioned workplace yeah. Where I see, you know, I just don't deal with men. I, de I deal with women as well, and and you know, sometimes children too, in that space. But um, I would say here in Australia, you know, our health system is very, very geared towards women's health. We have a big focus on women's health. Yeah. So therefore, you know, men, um, I feel from from my experience that going back to how boys are raised. Boys aren't shown how to um, manage their health and well-being, and you know, we, oftentimes we talk about how men don't take care of themselves, or they, um, you know, what men are like. You know, they just they don't know 
what health is or they don't yeah. speak or show emotion yeah. and, and seek help. Well, I understand that that's not how boys are born. I've raised two myself and I understand that we we have lived in, in a world, in a universe. We just have to look back in our history books, even watching sort of, you know, war movies and things like that about how men and boys are sent, you know, sent to war, yeah. sent down the mines, um, sent into hard labour, you know, looking here in Australia, you know, when Australia was being developed, uh, I, just over the weekend, uh, I visited a gold mine, not you know, a couple of hours away from where I live, and going down that gold mine, you know, back into the 1930s and, and before that, just to see predominantly men working with their bare hands, literally carving out rock to get minuscule pieces of gold, that's how you know this is a very long long way in, in, into your into your question but men were never shown how to care for themselves and were often very disposable for example in these gold mines with the inhalation of you know mining dust yeah. uh the life expectancy you know you were old when you were 40 and if you got to 40 you are living you know a really really long life so the expectation and the disposability um, of men um, that they would die young was something that is accepted, and we we I think we still uh, we still understand that to this day. Even things like you know prostate cancer, how we test for prostate cancer, uh, it's only become a funded thing, not even in the last twelve months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So incredible. I don't know if that really answered the question. No, I'm, no. I'm, I'm kind of. A, attending to my dog at the same time. <laughs> okay. Who's a male who can't feed himself. <laughs> but but I guess, I mean, probably there's, I would imagine that culturally it's it's fairly similar, although obviously not the same in, in the UK and Australia, you know, and we've, we've done quite a few shows on men's mental health. And, and obviously I work with a lot of men, you know, in my, my private practice. And although this is a bit of a generalisation and it's not always gender specific, you know, I do find that, you know, men tend to, if if they if difficult things are going on, whether that be with health, whether that be with relationships, work, whatever, but a lot of men will just tend to internalise it. You know, they'll just tend to internalise what's going on, deal with it themselves. And, and I just feel some of the implicit messaging that men receive growing up, you know, really kind of feeds into that, you know, be strong, man up. You know, and of course, you know, I mean, we both know, you know, as, as counsellors, that that is absolutely the worst thing that you can do. But I guess from what you're saying, Ray, I guess there's a real generational perspective to it. I mean, men have, you know, been involved in these kind of jobs, in these kind of workplaces. I mean, I'm wanting to bring in kind of war as well, you know, what men are sent off to war. So I guess there's there's a there's a history, really, in terms of men just having to get on with it, really, in, you know, often in very hostile environments. Well, it is from the dawn of time, Mark. Yeah. And biologically, you know, men are designed, you know, masculinity is designed in a way that, that men protect, you know, men risk their lives to protect and women risk their lives yeah. to create. That's that's yeah. how we're made. And there's no doubt that, you know, men are typically more risk-taking in their behaviours because of yeah. this than women. And, you know, we see that play out. That's why men can go to war. war and, you know, the, you know, all the poles and wires are out during an electrical storm. It's more likely that men will be out there in the rain, in the in the electrical storm, scaling poles to fix it. Um, not saying that women can't do that or don't do that, but it's more likely that men 
will be doing that. And, you know, you even look at sport, especially elite sport. We glorify men who are injured and play injured. Yeah, true. That's, that's, that, is, that, is, that is literal self-harming. Yeah. I'm, but but that, that's just another thing that uh, the way that, you know, we stereotype masculinity that, it you know, we want strong, tough men who are bleeding and cut, but, but you don't see, you don't see them being carted off to the doctor or the hospital. Um, it's play on. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so, horrible. it's so, I mean, I'd, I'd never, ever thought about that, you know, but it, it it's absolutely true what you say. It's glorified, isn't it? I mean, men, whether they're playing, I don't know, whatever sport, football, rugby, et cetera, yes. you know, if, if, yes, they're carrying on injured, which, 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 as you rightly say, you know, is self-harm, they're celebrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is actual self-harm. I had an argument with a client once and he told me that he felt like that he was very masculine and very able and he cared for people like he ran a marathon with a broken foot how great is that and I said that is literal self-harm and and he argued with me but you know there you go again it's the expectation is that that's what men Mm. should do and again I'm not saying that women don't do these things either you look at female ballerinas for example I'm pretty sure that they are injured most of the time doing their beautiful craft uh, also I mean they're linking back into the court the corporate space and this again you know because we, we're generalizing terribly because obviously everyone is an individual of course you know but but in terms of male and female leadership in a corporate space as a you know as a kind of generality what kind of differences over the years have you seen in terms of male and female leadership i mean is is there a difference i mean obviously it's difficult because everyone leads in a very very different way but do you think there are any you know over the years have there been any kind of gender differences in terms of leadership styles maybe that you've seen i think i've seen different pressures and you know if you if anyone's listening look up uh jermaine greer's take on this because i think she sort of puts it really beautifully uh that I think that there's no denying that, um, you know, first wave, second wave feminism was just fantastic for women. You know, I'm sitting here at this very yeah. moment thanking goodness, you know, that that, that happened for women yeah. and liberation happened for women. And I think it's sort of the pendulum swung a little bit. And when you ask me about the corporate space, I see that, you know, and this is nobody's fault. I just think it's the evolution of things is that, women have to try and behave like men to elevate, which I think moves away from uh, the abilities of women and the attributes of women who are naturally great leaders. And we've seen many, many of them before like the feminist movement, before all of that came along, we've seen many, many strong female leaders who are very feminine in the way they lead. So I think that we're still sort of trying to find a balance there. And, you know, I'm not sure if the gender quota that we have or the gender balance that we're trying to get within organisations, whilst that plays a positive role, I also think it distorts a little about, you know, for, for example, shoving a woman into a role to achieve a gender quota then perhaps that woman might not succeed in that role and therefore be quite um, misrepresented uh, and and in terms of um, lack of success. 
So I think, you know, in corporate, we've got to get away a bit from gender balance, more right person for the role, recognising that women lead like women or individuals lead individually and be recognised for that. Because I'm quite a big fan of Dan Goldman and Dan Goldman writes a lot about, you know, kind of, you know, modern leadership and, you know, leaders, you know, demonstrating empathy, compassion and care for the mental health of the workforce and stuff. You know, and and for me, you know, that's right, really. You know, I mean, I I think moving away from some of these, you know, I have to say really kind of, you know, male kind of leadership roles, you know, where leadership is done through fear and, you know, it, it seems a natural place to go, really. But I do hear that that some for some women in, in leadership positions, they feel to succeed, they have to kind of emulate those kind of masculine leadership qualities. Yes. So that must yeah. be very and, difficult. And they, and they don't yeah. sit well, <laughs> well at all. But I, I would also say about leadership and, you know, you were talking about, you know, leadership now encompassing, you know, empathy and compassion and flexibility and all those things all well and good however I see a lot that leaders are often forgotten in that they're human beings who also require compassion understanding and flexibility as well and I'm not sure what it's like in other countries of the world but I see you know in terms of health safety and well-being in organizations and compliance and also you know vulnerability of organizations around safety that organization the the expectations that that leaders have to take care of everybody's mental health and everybody's psychological well-being which of you you mentioned this before when you were reading my bio bio, mark is that i believe it's the organization's responsibility to create an environment that supports good mental health safety and well-being but it's the individual's responsibility to take to to actually manage their own within that safe environment. So, because it's impossible, we, we can never nail our, what we call our mental health to the wall and say, well, that's what my mental health, that's where my mental health is right now, because that can change at any given time. So true. Yeah, it really is true. So how but- we respond and react is to the moment, not, not under compliance. And, and so true what you say though, about leaders. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, someone that's you know a leader of, of in a corporate space, CEO or, or whatever, it's a lonely space. It's a lonely place up there, often, isn't it? You and know, often and, very yeah. barbaric. People are very yeah. unkind. Yeah, I mean that that kind of segues us quite neatly into into your work in the corporate space. I mean, you design programs, and I wonder whether you could say a little bit about that, Ray. Oh, thank you. Yes. Well. I- I'm pretty unconventional in the in the way I work, obviously within the law, <laughs> not outside of the lines. Uh, so organisations will partner with me. Uh, quite often I'm invited to attend when there's been a workplace uh, tragedy like uh, suicide or a workplace death or a workplace accident. So I'll come and manage um, all the trauma and crisis piece around that, you know, often with a focus on, you know, getting back to business as usual and keep that organisation running along while we care for any person that's affected and that will extend to families of people affected as well. And that's often then when we start having a really good look at the uh, at the, uh, the mental health and wellbeing of an organisation and start thinking about policy and strategy and processes and procedures that can minimise risk around psychological injury. 
which can often be also a, a leader to physical injury as well. It's something that we, we, we still tend to separate physical health and mental health. However, yeah. if, you're, if you're not agile with your mental health, you know, it's likely that you could sustain a physical injury and yeah. at times even even death can occur if we're not focused and and agile. Yeah. And that can be for, for various reasons. So once, you know, we're establishing that, then often I'll, you know, with my clients, uh, I'll be there for the lifetime, often um, offering counselling to, uh, to employees. It could be uh, what I call ethical transitioning. Sometimes people people's mental health is affected by the job that they're doing. They might not be a good fit. Yeah, uh, true. In, in earlier years, you would be sacked quite unceremoniously and that would have a big impact on your mental health. So uh, ethical transitioning is something that I'm quite well known for when you help people understand what their comfortable space is and what space they they might think about being in to uh, develop good uh, good mental health as well. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love that, the ethical transitioning, you know, yeah, because it, it's so true what you say. I mean, people end up in roles for all sorts of different reasons, don't they? You know, and if that role is not really a good fit for them, then I guess over time, you know, they're, their mental and physical health as you say is going to be uh, affected i mean when when you kind of go into these corporations so so it is a, an enormous undertaking really so if you go into a corporation and perhaps there has been a trauma there has been a suicide i i guess you goodness me i mean you have to look at the whole organization you know as a system i suppose and then introduce you know systems around mental health that are going to support the individual's within it and the organization and goodness it sounds like a massive undertaking depending on the organization i mean it's, it's a lot of work probably isn't it well i think you know my question that that you mentioned before my, my whole focus on the human condition whether it's one or a million is what does it feel like mm. being you so to try and develop a strategy or a policy or programs or processes out of my head to an enormous group, I think that has been an approach which really I don't, I can walk into an organisation that has, you know, five different streams. Each one yeah. will be different. So how can I apply the same thing yeah. to five different yeah. spaces within one organisation? So it's really easy to collect data if you're interested mm. you know if you're interested in data around employee assistance programs absenteeism um, engagement surveys they're all there generally mm. for a person like me to have a look at just to get a bit of an idea about what it feels like working mm. there and then to go and ask the people yeah yeah <laughs> literally ask yeah. the people what does it feel like working here uh it's so simple to find out you know, what, what the general population is saying. And then, you know, there's a little bit more to it, you know, do, doing some presentations, yeah. Yeah. showing them me yeah. so they get an idea of who they're working with to drill it down to go, okay, well, this is an organisation. Here's a starting point. You know, one in particular always really, really stands out for me. And when we did, when I did this deep dive, it took me about six months to gather all of the data but what the data told me is this organisation was the, the, the mental health literacy, the mental health of the organisation was incredibly good and people actually went to work here 
to improve their mental health. Oh, wow. wow. And I mean, that I've never seen before. No, me neither. That's so that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible by just making that little bit of an investment. And I don't mean financial investment, but actually creating space for people to manage their mental health within that environment that I mentioned before can have an enormous return on investment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I absolutely agree. And it seems like, you know, I know corporations kind of moving into this space. And I think of organisations like Google and in some of the tech industry perhaps leading, you know, on, on this. But it kind of seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? You know, in terms of absenteeism and, and productivity, if staff are happy in the workplace and they're supported, then the bottom line is going to be increased because they're going to work better for the organisation. I mean, you know, that has not been the way it's been, you know, for years, but it just seems obvious, doesn't it? That you look after your staff and the staff will look after their jobs and do well and, yeah. Yes. And looking after staff, again, doesn't require spending money. You know, the, the feeling of being cared for far outweighs being told that you're cared for. Okay. So just simply, you know, good morning and a smile or thank you. We often say to people, if you want to improve, improve mental health in your workplace, just don't be a beep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because that will have untold yeah. horrible ramifications for people. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, even things, I mean, I think, you know, I haven't always done this for a living. Thinking about some of the roles I've had, you know, you know even having a line manager say, oh, you've done that really well. Or, mm. you know, or, you know, or thank you for you know, all the work you've done. You know, I mean, it's so rare that's happened to me in my life, but it's so easy for line management to do that, isn't it? Just to, just to you know, just, it's, it's compassion, it's validation. And then the staff member becomes motivated and thinks, God, I'm really appreciated the work that I'm doing. So I'm really going to work for this organisation. I mean, hopefully this is the way that things are going to move in in the future, really. It does make a lot of sense, really. Yes, although I, I still think we still sit in this real fix-it mentality is we've got to fix people's mental health or we've got to fix this massive problem that we have. And the amount of times I get asked, do you think mental health is getting worse or do you think, you know, suicide rates are going up just because, you know, we, we, we blamed COVID for, for quite some time? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, in one part of Australia, male suicide reduced during COVID. And that was, I think, um, partly due to the fact that we had a JobKeeper payment. So all of a sudden uh, men had access to regular income, men who were, um, you know, probably more vulnerable to, to suicide. Yeah. And uh, and that, that, that was, there was something in that, you know, because the, the interesting thing about male suicide, that what we know here is that probably about 95% of male suicide has nothing to do with the mental health problem and everything to do with relationship breakdown yeah. followed by financial distress, followed by custody issues. So yeah. this payment during COVID took part, took care of this financial piece, mm. which we feel uh, contributed to, to that very slight reduction, yeah. but not, a, not an increase. So even, you know, families who were brought closer together, enjoying more family time or men not having to spend so much time um, out of the home environment too. Yeah. That, and that's generally yeah, speaking. Yeah, that, that is so unexpected. That's really, mm. really interesting. Yeah. And I guess yeah. it shows some of the pressures 
of men. I think when you talk about, yeah, relationship breakdown, divorce and separation, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, for everyone involved, that's yeah. incredibly difficult. But yeah, but men oh, often will internalise yeah. and, yeah, I mean, that is... I'm, I'm well, wanting... not so much internalise. Yeah. Again, I have to remind people it's it, that's how they're shown. They're up, they, yeah. men, are shown. And there's no resources, no support pathways. And, no. And I, in the last few months, I've had three men who, one lost a... Um, child through miscarriage one lost a child through stillbirth um and another one lost a child um through suicide nothing for men no, no investment in any recognition no. specifically for men how to manage through this yeah. so you know last year 40 billion dollars went towards women's health in the federal mm. budget zero for men not even a cent so you know yeah. that's not about a, a, a you know, a gender war. That's just more about let's balance this thing up and recognise that men are very vulnerable in certain things like prostate cancer. I mentioned that before. You know, women can't get that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's something I think that we need to, and and COVID was a terrible time because men were unable, there's so little funding for it to begin with. Yeah. How are men ever going to go and get tested? Yeah. But why, why would that be? I mean, his, we're seeing an increase now, and the statistics yeah. are horrific. Yeah, because now we're post COVID. That's where now it's all catching up. So we're seeing a big increase. In fact, on my radio show on the thirtieth of July, um, I'm going to be uh, interviewing uh, Mark Harrison. He's the CEO of Rural Prostate Cancer here yeah. in Australia to talk about that exactly. And, and that that is also a nice segue into your media work. I, I wanted to. I, I know we're running out of time. I, I wanted to pick up a little bit. There's a few things, so I'll maybe fire a few questions at you. Could you say a little bit more about your media work? Because I know that is a big part of what you do. I love the media. Anything yeah. that <laughs> anything that has a microphone. In fact, I emceed a wedding last week, the day that my grandchild was born. I also had to emcee a wedding, so I'm very versatile. Uh, but I think in how I manage my own mental health is through balancing out my work life so if I was just doing counseling or just doing work place or just doing public speaking uh or just doing advocacy then I probably would uh, my own mental health would be quite challenged so you know media is part of that radio I absolutely love because I think yeah, we're in a podcast right now, which I'm very, very grateful. However, uh, radio is something that I don't think will ever go away because it's such a unique form of communication yeah, where, uh, you know, radio broadcast, you're in this beautiful little studio, you've got lights, you've got the panel, you've got microphones, and you don't know who your audience is. You've got mm. no idea who your audience mm. is and you're only speaking to this one person in, in front of you or sometimes just to yourself. And I think it, it really just brings a whole different tone to exploring yeah. the human condition. So I love it. Yeah. And 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 also wanted to ask you about the shed scheme, the Monash shed, shed scheme. Could you perhaps say... The Monash little... men's shed? Yeah, the men's shed scheme. Yeah, because I know we talked a little... When we had the, the kind of pre interview chat you talked a lot about that and it's it, i'd never heard of it and i thought it sounded fantastic so for a listeners yeah, could well, you say men's sheds are yeah. amazing men's sheds are probably the most powerful uh men's health promotion uh organization that that i know of and men's sheds were born here in victoria australia like around 20 years ago 
and uh, now there's men's sheds in more than 12 countries of oh, the world. Right. So here in Victoria, we have more men's sheds than we have McDonald's outlets. So they make, you know, they can come in all different shapes and forms depending on what the community needs is what the community gets. So my shed at Monash, we have a, a noisy shed, so that's where all the tools and everything are. And then we have a quiet shed. We've got reading, yoga, Pilates, cooking, uh, I think I mentioned music, uh, board games, got a pool table. So there's a whole range of activities outdoors. We've got this beautiful uh, community garden that grows vegetables and flowers and all kinds of things. So, you know, for whoever comes to the shed is very, very welcome to start up whatever passion or skill they have. I know that there's a shed up in the north of Australia that just restores vintage cars. That's all they do. Uh, so it's whatever it's whatever the community uh, encapsulates. But such it's not just for retired gentlemen either. Uh, our shed coordinator is a, is a young guy, Daniel. Daniel's only in his twenties, so it's it's slowly evolving into an every man's uh, all male space. So look, you know, look up uh, Australian Men's Shed Association if you're interested in the world where you are. There's a lot in the UK um, and other parts of Europe as well. So and, and what a much needed space. I mean, goodness me. Mm. I mean, you know, that is really, really fantastic and much needed you know, for space yeah. for men to go. And, you know, I mean, I sometimes run a men's group, you know, and men's groups are kind of growing a little bit, you know, in, in the UK. But, you know, we need more of those spaces for, for sure. Um, and I've got oh, to... yes, I think one of I think one of my favorite. I'm sorry, I have to interrupt because we're okay. I'm speaking to the UK. But one of the greatest days I drove from Burnley in the UK up to Fleetwood to the Fleetwood Men's Shed, where I was invited um, as a guest speaker there uh, back in 2019, I think it was. And oh gosh, it was just just seeing these men in this very very difficult community i think the suicide rate in fleetwood is one of the highest in the uk okay. for men the work that they were doing in their community was just it was just made my heart burst it was incredible so yeah. if anyone from fleetwood is miss is listening into this hello <laughs> And and we we kind of come to the end, but I always ask our, ask our guests, you know, around what they do to sustain good good mental health in their own lives. And can I just ask you that? What what, what do you what do you tend to do to you know sustain your mental health every day? Well, this is probably a whole another podcast, but mm. I actually gave up drinking alcohol about a year ago, and the, the, you know, there's a whole story around that journey as well, uh, just around the improvement of dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, all yeah. the great happiness hormones that get absolutely wiped out when you drink alcohol. So yeah. that's that's my biggest uh, achievement actually today. Yeah, so really, so you've noticed a, a, an enormous effect on your mental health in, in improvement really through giving up alcohol. Well, probably more noticing just how detrimental it was when I was drinking yeah. it. You, yeah. know, you don't realise the impact that it's having. Um, until you do and Ray, it's an armful of aches and pains so 
and Ray, obviously we'll, we'll put you know any links that you know you'd like us to put up on our social media platforms but if if, if anybody wants to get in touch with you whether that is for private counseling or you know for, for work in the global space how, how do they do that how do they get in touch with you well they can contact me on my email which is rae at com, and i also do zoom i have i have a uh, private clients all over the world that uh, I see over right. Zoom. So um, that's the great thing that COVID brought to us is uh, yeah. is connection. Yeah, it, it's really changed the landscape, hasn't it, I think, you know, which yeah. is fantastic. I mean, obviously, we're talking today. I, I always find it amazing. Right? I don't know whether you feel the same, but, you know, you're you're in, in, in Australia, I'm in the UK, but you could be next door, effectively. It's, <laughs> that's why Zoom is so <laughs> I wonderful. Might be. Isn't it? I might be knocking on your door in five minutes. <laughs> But Ray, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's going to be a really, really interesting show for our listeners and uh, really nice to see you again. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And, and, and well done on the work that you do. And again, I'd like to thank Ray again for coming on the show um, and reflecting on the interview that uh, we, we, we've just had. The, the time just absolutely flew. Um I compiled, you know, a list of, you know, so many questions, you know, to ask Ray because she brings, you know, so much to the table in terms of skill and experience, you know, and I'm looking at my list, you know, I, unfortunately I didn't have the chance to, you know, ask all of the questions I would have liked, but I think the interview went into a really, you know, really fascinating area. And what Ray was saying around, you know, the underfunding in, in Australia, and it's probably also true in the UK, you know, in terms of support for, you know, men suffering from, you know, trauma. And Ray mentioned things like, um, you know, stillbirth. Uh, and it's true. I mean, I think that really is true. I mean, I guess on the show, we've, Joe and I have always talked a lot about men's propensity to internalise. And, and whilst I think that is still true, I think looking at the fact that Often, you know, it's in society, you know, there aren't they, those kind of support spaces that men can turn to, you know, and also kind of the historical precedents that um, that Ray was talking about. I guess there's many, many threads lead into, you know, men and, you know, men having, you know, often quite bad relationship with, with mental health. Um, I wanted to ask Ray really about the storytelling. I know storytelling is something that she mentions a lot in, in her profile. Um, but I'm really glad we were able to touch on kind of leadership. And it's a difficult conversation because obviously, you know, all leaders, you know, we, we bring much more to the table, don't we, I think, uh, than, than just our genders. But it's interesting to hear maybe some of the kind of, some of the things that, you know, Ray has seen, i.e., she was talking about kind of female leaders feeling as though they have to drop into, you know, that kind of historical, you know, male leadership model in order to, you know, to, to lead in corporations. And one would hope that that is starting to pass out a little bit. You know, and I also, I didn't say this at the time, but I, I also notice on on TV, you know, on films that, that women are now being portrayed in roles that probably were, you know, previously only portrayed by men you know and, and that is a good thing you know but uh, but I do see a lot of you know a lot of kind of women you know with guns and killing people and fighting and you know and I just want you know and th this is the worst part of masculinity isn't it so you know I, 
that maybe is more evidence of you know women in order to you know get the representation that you know that, that they deserve having to fit into those kind of male models in movies and stuff you know and kind of killing and you know fighting and all this stuff that is kind of you know really really kind of um highlighted in you know action movies i mean one would hope that that is a kind of behavior really that you know we're, we're moving away from really we touched a little bit on dan goldman and you know as you uh, our listeners will know i'm a big fan of dan goldman's work and you know his ideas around the new leadership style and bringing in you know more feminine qualities although i don't mean that you know in a gender sense you know particularly but you know but leaders bringing in more compassion and care and validating staff uh and, and ray was talking about that you know and it, it just seems obvious that if you look after your work your workforce you know you look after you know the staff that you know you have under you and also indeed you know the ceos and the people you know at the top of the organization that the bottom line is going to be better you know if you've got a workforce that are happy and with good mental health and support they're obviously going to work better you know i don't know why this has not been a conversation for years really you know but hopefully it's kind of moving you know and changing a little bit didn't have a chance to ask Ray about her work as a, an ambassador for Beyond Blue, um, but maybe at some point we might be able to, you know, have the opportunity to uh, to interview Ray again. Um, but I, I hope our listeners will agree. You know, I, I thought we covered a lot of areas maybe that we haven't covered particularly, you know, in previous shows. So I'm really grateful again to Ray for coming on and and sharing all that she did. Um, we've got quite a few podcasts coming up shortly. Um, I'm interviewing um, a lived experience guest around ADHD. Uh, I'm also be interviewing uh, an ex EastEnders actress around the power of storytelling. So these are going to be going to be coming up in the next week or so. Uh, and I'm also interviewing you know a, a motivational speaker um, from California, Carlos Vasquez. Um, he's written a book. Um, he's a fascinating guy. You know, bring so much to the table. So I'm really looking forward to that one. That's going to be in a couple of weeks. But obviously, we'll keep you informed. And as I said at the beginning, you know, we talked about Joe's film last time. And as we get more information, they're still in the edit phase at the moment around, you know, how, how you'll get to see it. Then uh, we'll obviously share that with our listeners. Uh, and once again, thank you to our listeners for listening. Obviously, we wouldn't have a show without you. And I want you to look after yourselves, look after each other and look after the planet. And I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks again for listening to the show. If you have been affected by any of the topics on this show or any other of our shows, um, if you're in the UK, then please reach out. Um, Samaritans can be contacted on 116-123. Now, the GP is also a good source of um, contact and can be the gateway for you know, counselling services and other mental health support. Um, reach out to your mental health support team, um, mental health first aider, um, or trusted friend, colleague, or family member. We have a lot of international listeners. Um, so if you're listening from a non-UK country, um, then please reach out to you know your country's healthcare and mental health care providers. Um, and remember, it's okay not to be okay. <laughs>